And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports. Joined, as always, by my line mates, Mike Russo, who is at home in Minnesota. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing good. Jesse Granger, usually at home. He's in New York, and I know this is a podcast, so most people are listening, and hopefully if you're uh, maybe watching this on YouTube, you'll understand this joke, but he looks like he's being held captive in this <laughs> closet in New York. Are you okay? Blink twice if you're okay. I, I am okay. I promise this hotel room is nicer than it looks on this Zoom. It I it does. It looks dark <laughs> and scary on the Zoom. It is not. Uh, it's actual. It's actually a really nice hotel room uh, right by Times Square. So um, I'm doing very well in New York. One of those rare cities. I've been to a lot of places. I've never been to New York. You believe I've never been to New York, so I I oh do my all goodness. the I know, right? I do all the tourist crap. I probably it's an, go to. It's a forty minute flight from Toronto. I know, I know. It's it's just one of the, it's like I've awesome. just never really had the opportunity to do it, and I should, and I will, and I can name a million cities even around the world that I've been in, been to that would make you think, well, why the hell haven't you been to New York? But I haven't. Yeah, it's a it's an awesome city. I love it. as As a West Coaster, that like I need my car, I need a garage to park my car in. I need to drive everywhere. Like that, I could never live here. But to visit this city is awesome. So as always, we got a jam packed show. We always go over not just the stories from last night, but the stories throughout the entire week. I do want to mention second half of the show, Mike Murphy, um, who of course longtime senior VP of hockey uh, operations, who has spent the last twenty plus years in the uh, 
in the NHL situation room, war room, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he has now retired, so he's spending his retirement talking to bozos like us. Uh, and he's going to come on in the second half of the show and talk a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes. And Mike was in the, the war room recently, so uh, be sure to tune into that. But like I said, all the stuff from this week, including guys... I, I said it last week, did I not? I said, oh, I can't wait to continue talking about this Vancouver situation next week. Well, we're talking about the Vancouver situation because... I, I I say this with a little bit of apprehensiveness, but the craziness has finally ended. Bruce Boudreaux put out of his misery. Rick Tockett in as head coach. Sergey Gonchar and Adam Foote uh, alongside him as ass- assistant coaches. Made his debut yesterday in that 5-2 win over the Blackhawks. But obviously we need to talk as a whole about this soap opera that was the Bruce Boudreaux era as coach in Vancouver. How long is it going to take for for the stink of all that to actually wash off and people just talk hockey in Vancouver again, Russo? Um, well, they're one and zero under uh, Rick Tockett, and that's usually what it takes, right? If a couple more wins, then I think people will be uh, turning the page rather quickly. Here, it's not often that a team that's lost uh, ten of twelve and is positioned where they were in the standings. Um, is supporting the outgoing coach the way that the fan base in Vancouver was. I think it speaks to, um, obviously, how likable Bruce Boudreaux is, but I think it just speaks to how badly this was handled by the Vancouver Canucks. You know, normally, uh, fans are calling for a coach's head. They're they're, they're not screaming, Bruce, there it is, after, you know, a a 10th loss in 12 games. They're screaming, fire Boudreaux. That's the way it works in the National Hockey League and usually in all pro sports. And, you know, I I don't know where this went awry with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, You know, as reporters, I think it makes all of us uncomfortable to sit there and rip on leaks because we all depend on leaks basically to do our jobs and break stories. So I don't I definitely don't behoove any of the reporters that had all the information, but it was handled poorly when it is telegraphed for two weeks, essentially that Rick Tockett is coming in. And when it's hand uh, reported for two or three days by the guys on hockey night in Canada, that Sergey Gonchar and Adam footer going in there as onto the staff, you know, that this was just handled poorly. This was not speculation. As Jim Rutherford said in his post, in his, in his press conference, introducing Rick Tockett, this was telegraphed, Here's what's going to happen on this very day to the point that Bruce Boudreaux told me that he booked his flight home a week and a half earlier for the day that he did. And, you know, it just it's it's crazy the way that they, this went awry. And hopefully Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvian learned a lesson for the next time is that, you know, like, look, uh, you know, everybody talks to out, uh, new, you know, coaching candidates when the current coach is still there. But for this to get out the way that it did, it just didn't help anybody. It got out because yeah. Jim Rutherford told everybody. Right. That's right. it. Uh, forget yeah. leaks. He literally held a press conference and said, yes, I'm talking to candidates. But, while but, Bruce Boudreaux but, yeah, is still his no, coach. No doubt. Yeah. And, and, I, and we talked about it on last week's show or yeah. two weeks ago show where I lost my mind on that. My only point is, is that Jim Rutherford said that, but he didn't say who. And we knew yeah. the who and the when and the where and the why and all that stuff for days upon days. And that's where this got really awkward. It, this wasn't just you know, the pressure of of Bruce knowing that his job was on the line when Jim Rutherford said that, clearly that added to, a ton to it. But the fact that everybody knew who and when and why, um, I think that was a part of the issue here. I totally agree with Rob that it's like, I see what you're saying, Mike. Like, mm-hmm. we knew the specifics because of the leaks. And if it were only the leaks, I could then Rutherford would have a, a leg to stand on and say, right. 
this all this speculation made this worse than it was and and I he like blamed Elliot Friedman for the coaching change like craziness yeah. um just craziness he's been like outwardly criticizing his coach since training camp mm-hmm. um we've been how long have we been talking about this goddamn subject yeah. it seems like it's been months so to to act like well, the insiders got got that information and leaked it out, and that was the reason all of this controversy is happening is nonsense. Um, yes, it made it worse. Knowing that it was Tockett and Foot and Gonchar made it worse for sure because it it was a really awkward situation. But that is not the only reason that this was this that this was the mess that it was. As Mike alluded to, you know, ordinarily when a, a team is shitty, the first head they call for is the coach. We saw the Bruce, there it is, chant. We saw Bruce Boudreaux get emotional on the bench. I mean, the only time you see a coach get emotional on the bench is if they're retiring. Um, <laughs> you know, ordinarily fans love to attack the coach. This was not the case. Jesse, you handled the, the Gallant firing in Vegas. You know, the famous picture of him, you know, being ushered off in a taxi. Any, any Did any memories pop up when you're like, oh, my God, or is this just blow that one out of the water? So the the taxi picture was actually when he got fired from Florida. Florida, excuse uh, from me, from yeah. the Panthers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did get fired very surprisingly in Vegas. I mean, Gerard Gallant was like, as Bruso mentioned, how likable Boudreaux is. Like Gallant is a likable guy, and Vegas, the city of Vegas, all its fans loved Gerard Gallant, and he he took the expansion team to the Stanley Cup final that magical season and they were only one year removed from it. I mean he only lost one playoff series since that Stanley Cup final and that was the game 7 in San Jose with the the terrible call that got screwed up and changed the rules of the NHL because the Golden Knights got screwed over so bad so he hadn't really lost a playoff series that he actually lost and the very next season halfway through he gets fired the reason there wasn't the like if 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 it had been known that Gerard Gallant was going to be fired, I think it probably would have been similar. I think you would have seen chants in the stadium uh, for for Gerard Gallant. The fans loved him. The players loved him. the The difference was it was so out of left yeah. field, like no one saw it coming. Um, I was in Ottawa on the road, and I remember waking up in my in my I'm still sitting in my bed in my hotel room, and I see the the email saying Golden Knights have fired Gerard Gallant and hired Pete DeBoer in the same press release. Um, I actually copied, I went and copied the the email that it was from and pasted it into my Google Doc and and blew the font size up to make sure it was not a fake email because I thought somebody was like punking me, um, <laughs> sending wow. me this email. Because to fire Gallant, which is already the craziest move ever, but then to hire him with the enemy, Pete DeBoer, the, in the same press release, seemed like this can't be a real email. Um, so yeah, so that whole situation, similar, but because it came out of nowhere and no one saw it coming, there wasn't that like outpouring of support like there was for Boudreaux. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just, like I said, the stink is going to take a while to really go away on this one. Um, they did actually look like a bit of a, an inspired team, especially in that third period last night, but it was, again, Chicago. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Kyle Davidson went from being upset to very happy at the end, right? Even though that they even though Gary Bettman says nobody tanks. Um look, uh you know, I uh t- you know, the one thing I will say to look at the bright side here, um you know, the one thing that um I had a really cool conversation with uh with Boudreaux um a couple days ago and hopefully everybody read that story um because I think it one shows you how a guy 
really um, handles a situation like this with class. Um, but I think he looked also at the bright side. You know, what he said to me is like in Minnesota when he was fired here, um, you know, he's fired before practice. He left the um, practice rink before all the players got there. Um, never had a chance really to say goodbye other than text to him after the fact. That happens usually in every way that a coach is fired, right? It usually happens on an off day, on a, a you know, after a game when the players are long gone, um, things like that. And what he said that was really special about this one is that because all the, you know, how this was handled and everybody knowing that he was gone is that he walked in the room and they all cried together. They all thanked each other. He said one star player on that team who I won't mention because he doesn't want to embarrass him, you know, came into his office and was uncontrollably audibly crying and hugging him in front of the other assistant coaches. Um, You know, that is stuff that normally doesn't happen. So I think that's one of those things. If this is it for Bruce Boudreaux, um, you know, he's 68 years old. um, You know, who knows if he's going to get another opportunity, but if this is it, he'll remember it for the rest of his life. And just to wrap this thing up, the Vancouver Canucks are now paying three coaches. Travis Green, Bruce Boudreaux, and Rick Tockett. Just wanted to just wanted to throw that in there. Um, let's keep talking coaches, though. We've got a couple other topics that involve the guys behind the bench. Uh if they weren't doing that, they could uh they could re-sign Horvat. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just tack that money on there, right? Yeah. Um yeah. the Panthers were down to five one of the Rangers the other night, uh, with nine minutes and twenty-one seconds left. So Kind of one of those things, well, we're going to see this game kind of wrapped up. But Paul Maurice wasn't ready just to, to wrap it up. He yanks his goalie. Um, it almost looked like it was going to start working. They scored almost right away to make it 5-2. to two. Uh, Igor Shosturkin tried scoring at one point, put it about a foot, foot and a half away from actually putting it in the net. Uh, and then the Rangers eventually scored uh, with about three minutes left into the empty net. What do you guys think of pulling a goalie with 921 left in a 5-1 game? Jesse, the goalie, we always start with you with these topics. I love it. I love yeah. it because, I mean, you're if you don't pull the goalie, you're essentially surrendering. Um, we are not going to win this game, and we have given up. Um, yes, there are scenarios where goal differential can come into play, but for the most part, it doesn't really make a difference if you – uh, lose by six one seven one eight one six. Yeah, yeah it, it, it yeah it makes no difference. So I personally have no problem with it. I think it's a, it's good to try to get the win. Um, it's it's good to give uh, Igor Shosturkin a chance to score a goal. Uh, here in New York, I actually went up to Rangers practice yesterday, and I was talking to him in the locker room, and I was like, "Man, that was so close." And he's like, "Yeah, uh, Charlie Lindgren." So Lindgren hasn't scored a goal in forty five games for the Rangers this year, and uh, Shosturkin goes, "Or yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah." He, uh, Shosturkin goes, "Yeah, he." He would he would not have been happy if I would have scored before him. So I, I couldn't I couldn't score before he did. Um, but, but yeah, I like I said I I think maybe as a goalie you were thinking I'd be like nah keep the goalie in the game but like get try at least try sure. Russo. Yeah, I, I I like it as well. I mean Dean Evison does it all the time. I mean sometimes I think it's a little weird, but hey. Uh, you might as well try. Speaking of goalies almost scoring, uh, Freddie Anderson against the Wild last week uh, put one right up the middle. And if uh, Brodian didn't pick it off at the red line, that thing was that thing was postmarked for the empty net. That would have been awesome. I don't think I've ever covered a, a goalie goal in person in all my years covering hockey. I would give anything to see one. Uh, for a while, I thought Capo Kakinen would get one here. He, he goes for it all the time. Um, but hey, um, you know, I, I sometimes I think it's ridiculous uh, 
but but if you can you know spur your team along and show them that uh that uh you know, that, that there's no quit. I think that's a good thing. And remember, um, last year, Florida tied for the league lead for with multiple goal comebacks. This year, they don't have one. Um, strangely enough, uh, same with Minnesota. They each tied for nine multiple goals comebacks last year, led the league. They each are the only two teams without any. How about how crazy is that? I'm not going to pretend to know these numbers because I've heard different numbers get thrown out, but People are trying to figure out when is the ideal time to pull the goalie. I mean, for, since the first face-off, it's always been with about a minute left, you pull your goalie. And more and more people are, are breaking down the numbers and saying the more time you leave yourself, it's better that way. So yeah, Pat- I, Patrick Waugh started that. Yeah, he right. did. Yeah, like it was like I think it's his first game, wasn't it? As coach of the, the Avalanche, it was like six minutes left, and he yeah. yanked his goalie. So uh I think we we may start seeing it again. I, I just like exactly what Jesse said. The towel's not being thrown in. At 5-1 with nine minutes left, usually you see people going, I want to beat the traffic and get the hell out of here early. If your coach is never going to never gonna throw the towel in, I think it's good for the game. Yeah, I think, and, and I agree with you, I think we're going to see it more. I think just sports in general are starting to listen to the analytics. Like you see it in football. Coaches are going for it on fourth down more. They're going for it. Uh, two point conversion more in basketball. They're shooting less mid range jumpers. They're like every sport. They're starting to listen to the math. And I think in hockey, you can list to me though. It's not just about the math. Like there's going to be a number, like a, a time left in the game and how many goals you're down that come. But to me, it's more about, is my team generating at five on five? If you're sc- creating scoring chances at five on five, I think it's probably best to wait because one mistake and now you're down another goal. But if you just aren't doing anything at five on five and it's like, man, we might not score one goal the rest of this game, let alone four to try to come back. To me, that's when like it really makes sense to pull your goalie early. I love experimentation and coaching. I really do. And, you know, we see we've seen other things, you know, the Leafs this year, five forwards on the power play. I I like just I like it. I, I'd like it, if it, especially if it makes the game better. Speaking of coaching, you know, last week we spent a good portion of the show uh, throwing John Tortorella very much under the bus. And we didn't get to one story about him that kind of has taken on a life of its own as well. Uh, he's banned the iPads on the bench. Since then, Bruce Cassidy's kind of come out. And Jesse, I know you, you wrote a story about this. So we'll start with you in a second. But kind of saying they're in the process of evaluating it. They look like they're second to the party. But they were actually talking about doing this for a while. We've seen it as as fans, as people who cover the game. The second players go to the bench, they've got an iPad and they're looking at it. And of course, on the surface, it, it's, it was put in place so you could immediately analyze something that perhaps will help you to, for the rest of the game. But I think coaches are starting to realize players are just becoming fans. You know, if they try a between the legs move and it didn't work, they want to see Oh, how close was I to making that move? They become fans on the bench, and maybe it's a bit of a distraction. What'd you find out, Jesse? Yeah, we we asked Bruce Cassidy just to kind of get his thoughts, and like he he joked, he's like, "We look like the second man to the dance." Um, but he said that he was actually talking about with assistant coach Ryan Craig prior to to uh, Tortorella coming out and banning him. And Cassidy's definitely his stance on him isn't as strong as as Tortorella's in terms of like. They're just gone. I think if the Golden Knights do make a change, he, he mentioned we're evaluating it right now. If they do, I think it's going to be just limiting them to timeouts, um, to TV timeouts, to to when the play isn't going on on the ice. Um, I spoke to Jack Eichel, who is 
by all accounts, the guy who uses the iPad more than anyone in Vegas. And, and even he said that he has already um, started just doing it during timeouts, um, but he, he likes to look at it. He thinks there's benefits to it. Uh, Jonathan Marsha, so one of the fire, like most fiery players in the league. Of course, he was like all fired up when I asked him about Tortorella. He's like, he, he's like, we're grown men. Uh, we should be able to decide what we want to watch and what we don't. Uh, what's he going to do next? Tell us what we should eat for pregame meal or how long our nap can be. Um, <laughs> but that's just that's just Marcia so being Marcia so. Um, like I, I I talked to a bunch of players and it was kind of like I don't think the Golden Knights. I don't think it's the same issue that it is with the Flyers. And I think if you look at the team makeups, it's hard to compare those two because the Flyers are a young team. And like Tortorella even said, like this team struggles with staying in the flow of the game and understanding what's happening in the game. I think that's this, like the characteristics of a young team that's still figuring out their way in the league. Whereas the Golden Knights are one of the more veteran teams in the league. They've got, they're collecting captains in Vegas. So they've got like eight former captains. Um, I think they're a little more equipped to to like know when to use the iPads and when not to. And that's part of the what reason Cassidy isn't as strong um, in this opinion. But uh, he Cassidy also said Tortorella is not going to be the last coach to do that. So it's going to be interesting to see if other teams follow suit, especially if the Flyers uh, get some positive impact out of it. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I don't have much of a feeling on this. I, I trust the coaches in this, uh, in this circumstance. I don't know how you could, in a, you know, with as fast as hockey goes, how you can check shifts and check plays in a, in a real-time mechanism. This is not football where you can go to the bench and spend t- five, six minutes there. Um, this, this is a game flow sport. A lot of times coaches will, you know, it's not, especially if you're matching up, you know, you'll be looking at the iPad and next thing you know, you might be out there, right? I mean, you might be playing every third shift. It just, I don't know what you really achieve other than, you know, really quickly, oh, that's how I flubbed the shot. Well, you you flubbed the shot. It was, you know, like it it doesn't, you know, what did it hit? Like, there's no reason for you to know it right away. Um, and so Especially I, since I, they watch so yeah. much film in between games yeah. too, right? It's not like yeah. you're not going to see it. And that's the only time you're going to be able to see it. Should, ever. It should be one of those. It, to me, the iPad should be on the bench for the assistant coaches that if all of a sudden during a TV timeout, the, the video coach thinks that a, that a player needs to know something, you radio to the assistant coach. You could have it queued up, show the player real quick. Uh, I don't know why two players, three players need to be huddled on the bench looking at an iPad. I think where it, they can use it the most, and like this is what the players kind of said to me too, is is special teams. At five on five, you're not going to learn a lot on that. Like like you said, you're just looking at the specific. Did I miss that pass or whatever? But they they all said it's it is valuable after a power play to go back and look and see where the guy's sticks were. Like, did he have his stick on the inside? Did he have it on the outside? Was it on the ice? Like to me you mentioned it's not like football special teams are where it's kind of structured and like mm-hmm. everything's kind of still. And you, I think you can pick things apart from penalty kill or, or power play, but that should be really the only time they like, that's really the only tool that, that they can use it for. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Curious to see if other coaches do this. Cause I, th- I think it was Chris Kreider, wasn't he? That grabbed the iPad at one point and they, they caught him just tossing it across the bench to say enough. Like this is, this is, yeah. And I, and I agree with you, Jesse, like special teams, if a power play is not working, it's not clicking and you can look and say, hey, we should be set up more here because look at the way, you know, that to me makes sense. Missing a breakaway and running to the bench so you can check out what happened doesn't make sense. Uh, one more thing before we go to break, guys. This one just 
it made me wince and it made me feel so bad for him. Max Pacioretty just returned from a torn Achilles tendon, which when I hear that injury, I don't know about you guys, there's certain injuries that just make you, yeah, you feel, almost feel it. And I've never had it. I've never torn my Achilles, but it just seems like the one of the worst injuries ever. Did it again after scoring three goals in five games with the Canes. This isn't just, this is, this is, this is bad. He's going to be gone a while again. And you just, you got to feel for him, don't you? Russo, we'll start with you. Yeah. I mean, I was there and saw it and it was so obvious what happened. He immediately, it was a non-contact injury. He immediately grabbed for it. Um, the way I, I completely agree with you, the, the, the term ruptured Achilles just oh. gives me the heebie-jeebies, right? I mean, it has for my entire life. And I just can't imagine, um, you know, that injury happening to me. If I if it happened to me, I would wake up in two, three months weighing like 800 pounds. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 horrible. And obviously, Jesse has a, um, you know, he, he knows Max from covering him in Vegas, so he could speak to his character and how he'll handle this. But it was so absolutely obvious. And now it'll be really interesting how Carolina um, reacts to this, right? He was supposed to be their, quote, trade deadline pickup. And now suddenly they're going to be able to go into the LTI situation and, and make a move. And uh, I know Pierre Lebrun talked to Don Waddell about that yesterday. Um, and everybody could read Don's quote where he said he's going to handle this patiently. This is a team that traditionally doesn't give up a huge price for rentals. He'd like to make a hockey deal, which is why maybe a Timo Meyer or somebody like that might work uh, more so than a Bo Horvat. Um, but we'll see. Um, you know, just, just, just terrible. Yeah, it's it sucks to see for Max. Um, like you mentioned, I know him pretty well. He's uh, he's was one of the leaders here in Vegas. He's a really good guy. He works so hard. Like. You, you think like, man, this guy's injury prone. Like maybe he's not like, tr- like treating his body right. Like this guy is an absolute tank. Like he, I, I've never seen a hockey player in better physical condition than Max Pacioretty. And you talk to his teammates, he is first one in the gym, last one out of the gym. He, he treats his body like a temple. This guy is, he's all about nutrition. He's not that old, um, but he does have a lot of miles on, on the wheels. Um, he's, he's, he's played a lot of hockey, but yeah, he just, for the last three or four years, he just cannot seem to stay healthy. Every time he comes back, it's something else. Um, you got to feel for the guy because there's yeah. nothing he can do. Like I said, he he's, all the things he can control, how good a shape he's in, how he takes care of his body, he he's it. doing yeah. all of it to the maximum, and he still cannot stay on the ice. It's It, it really sucks to see. He, ha- he had a, not that I'm a doctor, but I'll play one on this podcast. Um, he had a, a minimally, he had a new procedure. Uh, for Achilles, a minimally eva- invasive one, and and uh, you know one has to wonder now if he'll go have the one that is traditional, and and uh, you know hopefully that fixes it because that would be my biggest thing to get back to Rob's point about the term Achilles and and the feeling that we all get. I think when we think of that injury is is now I got to think mentally. You know I know that they say that in the boot that you're so secure and all that stuff, but I got to think mentally, just training. Like these guys, what he's going to have to do to train again and, you know, the the stuff that they have to do between squats and jumps and things like that, how can you ever feel comfortable doing it again? Because nobody wants to experience this injury again. And so I feel for him. I, I hope that he's able to come back from this, but it's going to take not just a physical toll on him to to deal with the rehab of this injury, but I got to think mentally, this is going to be just brutal. I dislocated my kneecap. Um, a couple years ago playing hockey and the kneecap like twisted around. It wasn't nearly as bad as this Achilles. And I remember the first time I like went down into a butterfly slide on that knee, just like not even in a game, just like 
I'm on the ice for the first time months after the injury. Doing that first dropping to the knee was absolutely horrifying. Um, I can't imagine with the Achilles, and then it's happened twice now. Twice. Uh, Max Pacioretty's a stronger man than we are. Yeah. Wish him all the luck in the world, and hopefully we do see him back on the ice in <laughs> the least amount of time as uh, possible. We are going to be back doing this after the break with former player, former coach, and now former Senior VP of Hockey Operations, Mike Murphy. So don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Russo, our next guest has been very, very busy for the last 50 years. I mean, first he plays <laughs> over 800 games in the NHL, then just slides over to being a head coach and an assistant coach with teams like the Kings and the Leafs and the Canucks and the Rangers and the Sens, and then wanted to keep busy. So for the last 23 years, was working for the NHL as the senior VP of hockey operations. Much of that time spent in the war room, which I'm pretty sure we're going to talk uh, a little bit about in the next few minutes. So I would say... He's earned his right to a little bit of rest in retirement. Mike Murphy joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey guys, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, it, that you're the only thing on the agenda today, other than I have to clean the garage <laughs> a little later. <laughs> Welcome to retirement, right? I mean, uh, you've been so busy, like I said, for fifty years, and it's it's got to feel weird. And the one question I want to ask you: I know you haven't been retired long. Your last day was New Year's Eve, but yeah. Um, how does it feel actually watching a hockey game just as a fan, like just sitting on the couch and watching a game and, and just enjoying it, maybe with a frosty beverage and not yeah. trying to pick out certain things the way you've been doing for yeah. the last uh, 50 years? Uh, definitely different, but a lot better. I enjoy the game so much. And we have so many great players in the game that occasionally when you're sitting in the video room, you're just you're managing a whole bunch of games. So you're really not paying attention to the, the Crosby's and the McDavid's and the uh, Kopitar's and, and all the great players that are out there and watching their game specifically. So I watch it more as a coach when I'm sitting here watching by myself, like looking at forechecking, looking at break breakouts, uh, power play setups, penalty killing, Penalty killing and power play are such a remarkable skills because I really think they're they're areas coaches can really uh, get make a team better in. So I, I when I'm in the video room, I never pay attention to that much. Now that I'm sitting here watching as a fan, it's awesome to sit here and be a to be an armchair coach again. Have you been an armchair arch armchair? I should say, uh, yeah. you know, sitting at home, uh, you know, now analyzing goal reviews and things like that, and saying, you know what, that was a bad decision by the situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. I, 
I, I do, but I really defer to them because uh, whenever you're doing one of these, the influence of the referees on the call is significant. Uh, our group is terrific. The group in Toronto, Chris King, Rod Paz, Kate Whitmore do an outstanding job. They really know what they're doing. They've been there a long time uh, and they rarely get things wrong. In fact, they always get things right. So I sit back and I just kind of defer to them and say, hey, I, I don't even need to drill down on this because I really don't <laughs> want to and I don't have to. So I'll leave it to those guys. Murph, I, I was in the Situation Room uh, uh, about uh uh, last Saturday, I believe it was, or Sunday, uh, watched eight games with Rod Pasma and, and Kay Whitmore. Bill McCreary was in there as well. And, you know, as you know, Murph, I've, I've been in there probably four or five times shadowing you guys. I've written a couple stories on it, and I was struck by the evolution of the room. Now, I'm not just talking back when you were on looking at 10-inch TVs, but but just the, yeah, the fact yeah. that you have the retired ref in there, and there just seems to be, you know, there were 30 seconds before there's even a challenge. You guys really know if it's going to be a good yeah. goal or a bad goal. Um, can you discuss that evolution from when you first started, when you were in that sort of closet there? Yeah, I, I sure will. Uh, and one of the neat things, and they never get enough credit, is NHL technology. They, they've done so much for our room. And you are absolutely right. Many times we know the answer 30 seconds before the game even stops, whether it's a challenge or an offside. In fact, very much with offsides, the guys will have them froze. The, the frame will be frozen. So when the linesmen pick it up, they go, oh, oh, yeah, OK, sorry. What's the time? Like they'll already know it. But to tell you a little bit about this, the genesis of the video room and uh, I started working with the NHL in 99 and we really didn't have a video room. Uh, there was a, a gentleman by the name of Damian Echeverrieta who now works for player safety. He was the, he was the, uh, uh, the first person to start a video room and his main job. And my main job when I came on board was, was to search the games looking for player safety issues. And back in the, early 2000s the game was much different than it is now there was a lot of vicious plays high sticks cross checks slashes um you know slew foots boards but uh, plays plays that were outside what you'd call hockey plays they were they were nasty plays so we were always looking for that because Colin Campbell was handling all the discipline at that time. So that was kind of the genesis. We got more and more TVs and we built VCRs and, and then we started to watch these games a little closer to try to get the answers. And back in those days, many times games weren't even telecast like you, Florida, when we did a part partial games, even the Blackhawks didn't do all their games. They didn't do home games. So we really had to scramble to get the right answer on some of these player safety issues. 2003, I remember, I think it was 2003, might have been two, to, to, to kind of the genesis of what really came was we were watching a game in the video room looking for player safety issues, and Detroit was playing Calgary in Calgary, and there was a play close at the goal line, and the puck didn't cross the goal line. It was close, but it didn't cross, and they called it a goal. So we didn't have any recourse. It was the people at the arena that made those decisions. Uh, so now Calgary gets a goal that they shouldn't get. And 30 seconds later, Kenny Holland called, the GM of Detroit. <laughs> and he said, guys, enough's enough. We appreciate what these guys do in the rink. 
We need a central location where we've got smart people working there every night uh, are making these decisions. They're going to bring consistency. They're going to bring accuracy. They're going to bring speed. We need a central location. So that was kind of the genesis. Uh, at the next general manager's meeting, it got decided upon that we would get this room going, and it's evolved from there. Uh, small TVs to bigger TVs to VCRs to TiVo machines. You might remember those TiVo machines. And then finally, we got more, some HD games, and suddenly we got uh, uh, the different areas where you could review plays without having a VCR tape. And, and then we went to this fiber optic and the software programs we have today. So it's really been an evolution and it's evol it's ev still evolving. I know right now we're in the process or the guys in Toronto are in the process of building a whole new room. They're going across the hallway and make the room bigger and better. So we have more large screens, TVs. And right now I think we have nine large screens, but I think they want like 12 so that there's never a game that's on. And we rarely do we have 12 games on at one time, but sometimes we have nine or 10 on. So you hate to go to us. When I say go small, we go to a 42 inch screen as opposed to a 90 inch screen. They want to have every game on a big screen TV monitored by one individual who, who analyzes all the details of that game. When there's an issue in the game, they direct it to the front desk, and that's a guy like Kinger or Chris King or Rod Pasmer and or Colin Campbell many times, and they'll handle that situation, whether it's a challenge or review, an issue with a penalty. Uh, so it's that's kind of been the evolution. The introduction of the the retired official has been an excellent has been an excellent addition because they bring uh, expertise on the rules. They speak the official's language. So when they get on the headset with an official, oh, there's a there's a strong bond and a strong trust there. So, uh, so it's really helped uh, credibility in our room and the trust in our room. And I think now officials look to us to help them. They want the game right. They want the calls right. They want that we they want us to serve the game better, and they want to serve the game better. So I think that's kind of how the whole thing has come about. And, uh, it, you know, I, uh, it, I just think the guys in there do a terrific job. And I can only relay back that the NBA, you know, I want to say about 10, 12 years ago, came in to see what we did. Uh, the NFL has been in to see what we've, how we operated uh, at that. And, and the um, uh, Major League Baseball has come in to see how we operated. And most of it was to see how does this central location work. And they saw what we did. And they've all built now facilities where all their decisions are made at a central location so i think as i said before consistency the same guys are going to make the call tomorrow that is they make tonight so i think consistency and accuracy and and speed believe it or not and i know speed is a real problem because you want to get these decisions done with and over with and the game started because nothing's worse than you're really enjoying a game and all of a sudden it stops for two three four minutes uh, whether it be baseball, basketball, hockey, you want those decisions made quickly. And I think our guys have really got, got that in mind when they're making these calls. Mike, I want to ask you, as you know, some, some calls are black and white. The puck went in, the puck didn't go in. We've got the footage. But sometimes no matter how many you know cameras you have or angles you have, there are certain things that are 
kind of debatable and, and goalie interference sure. is one that always kind of gets brought up. I'm wondering how many times there are disagreements because, you know, a good example, I'm in Canada, the World Junior Final, that goalie interference call that everybody talked about. Yeah, I, I've talked to a bunch of people. Fifty percent of them said that's goalie interference. Fifty percent of them said yeah. that's the worst call ever. Are there disagreements in there? Do you ever have two people say that's goalie interference versus no, absolutely not? Uh, not a ton of times, but yes, we do. Sure, and uh, we, we the common denominator or the bottom line on it is what is the call on the ice? Okay, so if the call on the ice is not clearly wrong. And Mike Murphy thinks it is wrong, and Chris King thinks it isn't wrong. The call on the ice rules. So that's we say that a lot of times. Like, boy, this is close, guys. I don't know about this one. Jeez, but I don't think we could change the call. And a lot of times, we'll even ask ourselves if the call went the other way, how would we rule on this? And we say the same thing very often. We couldn't change the call on the ice. So. That's that's kind of the bottom line, the the foundation for the video room. Don't make changes unless it's clearly wrong and, and the video supports that. And the referees are kind of told to to make that distinct call on the ice. Um, I know earlier on when when video replay came in, there were times that it almost looked like a referee was like, oh, I don't know what to do here because of. You know, it's going to go to replay. Now they're told to make that distinct call. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, for sure. They have to make a call. And we always, the first question is, what's your call, guys? Because the game has evolved to the point where it's so fast. And so the players are so talented. Now we've got two referees and four officials out there. Uh, a lot of times they'll huddle and say, geez, I saw the puck go in the net. But when they come out of the huddle, they'll say, yeah, but it was high sticked. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay, so now the huddle has has they formulated a different ruling than initial initially when they pointed goal. So they'll come on the headset and we'll say, "What's the call, guys?" And they say, "Well, initially we pointed goal, but after huddling, we we think this stick is high that deflected the puck into the net." And we'll say, "Okay, guys, that's great. Go and make the announcement. We're going to review this play and we'll give you the answer." And that's how. So now again, the ruling on the ice is the high stick. We got to prove it's not a high stick. And even though it might be close and you're sitting at home saying, boy, this isn't a high stick. It, it is the call on the ice unless we're clear with video that the call on the ice was incorrect. Uh, to preach a little bit, I, I think that every single beat writer should um, take a take a tour and sit in on the, not only the situation room, but the Department of Player Safety, because I think it's an incumbent on a lot of us to educate you know fans about what goes on in there. You know, you just mentioned yeah. Damien. Um, I have sat into the Department of Player Safety as many times. In fact, I did it the day after I was in Toronto. I did it in New York the other day. Yeah. Um, you know, I've sat in with George Peros and Damien a, a gazillion times. And, the you know, I always get a kick out of fans that are like, oh, they just hate the wild. They hate the Leafs. They hate the Rangers. There is none of that <laughs> that goes on. Yeah. These guys have integrity yeah. and credibility. And, and it, you know, I really think that everybody should go in and just see how the process works to better you know, educate fans when it, when a play happens in real time. My favorite part of this new, uh, latest trip to the Situation Room, Murph, was Coley Campbell. It was like the voice of God coming out of the ceiling. <laughs> There's a camera there that he's yeah. able to pay attention to all the games from his living room couch, yeah. basically. Yeah. And, and he's got a microphone there, and sometimes you forget he's even on there. And next thing you know, he yeah. just chimes in and starts talking. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Well, and... and People talk a lot about who watches the most games in in, in hockey in the world. Yeah. Nobody watches more games than Colin Campbell. He is on the uh, 
camera or in the video room every night. And it's great to have him there because he's a, another voice of reason. And a lot of times he's got a great high definition camera that can zoom right in the screen. So it's as if he's sitting beside you and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be doing the challenge or the review. And I, part of my job was to kind of monitor what Coley thought, because his opinion is, is really relevant when it gets down to, do we change it or do we not? And I would say, Coley, what are you thinking here? Are you seeing this? And we kind of go through the rehearsal of, of what we talk about and some of the criteria we look at when we're doing a challenge or a review. And, uh, he is, uh, he's been a real advocate for, uh, everybody having an opinion, everybody contributing, everybody looking at plays. And, uh, you know, he's, as I said, nobody watches more than him. He's, and he, he'll be, sometimes he'll be at a governor's meeting or he'll be in Florida at a GM meeting. He'll be on the camera. As soon as the game starts, he'll be on the camera. And sometimes he'll say, Hey, I have to run out for a half hour. I won't be on the camera. And then we're on our own at that point. But very seldom does he miss any action at all. Mike, you you alluded to the fact that a phone call from Ken Holland kind of helped uh, spearhead the, the war room. I imagine yep. that wasn't the last phone call you got from an angry GM. <laughs> um, I imagine that's part of the job description. Uh, and now that you're retired, you know, Maybe you could allude to the fact of what GM calls you the most and says, what the hell were you guys thinking? Because I imagine you get phone calls from GMs all the time. Well, I, I will say this. In the early days, we got a lot more calls. And we took a lot more abuse than we do now. I think a great deal of credit goes to the hockey operations department. Colin, Chris, Rod, uh, the commissioner, we've educated and we continue to educate the general managers, the coaches, the video coaches on, on all these types of plays, whether it be video review, coaches challenge, uh, even supplementary discipline. George and his group, George Peros and his group, educate the GM. So this ongoing education process gives the NHL great transparency. So a lot of times they'll know it's a 50-50 call and it went against them. They might call and ask, and we'll just say, guys, this is really close, and we opted for the call on the ice. They don't like it, but they get it. And and very often when general managers call, they're, they're, they're rarely wrong. They usually have a good point, and I think it's part of our job in there was to listen, to pay attention to what they were saying, and then to say to them, listen, here's what we saw, and I'm going to go back and review it, and I'm going to get back in touch with you. ASAP. And, and I think they appreciated that type of transparency and that type of uh, forward thinking when we were doing the work in the video room. And, uh, uh, it, it, you know, you, we, we did not get a lot of calls in the end. We would get emails and text messages and sometimes they would call. And most of the time they were correct. And, you know, there was an error made on the ice if, uh, if that was the case, but in, in, in many instances, they were very, very, the general manager been very good, really a good group to deal with. When I was in there the other day, uh, Murph, uh, all of them were talking about, you know, what a loss you were going to be to that whole process. But then they started talking about you and what a character you are. And they all thought that you would have been an incredible general manager in, in the national hockey league. Was there ever a point where you wanted to go that route after coaching? You know, yes, yes, there is. And I think, 
that that would have been something I would have looked forward to doing. I, and I did have a couple of opportunities. I didn't get the job. Uh, I, I, I had enough of the, and I still love the coaching part of the game. And uh, I, I got tired of the coaching carousel. I saw good coaches ha- get relieved of their jobs. I got relieved twice in situations where I thought I did a pretty good job, but you know, we weren't, we weren't good enough. So you understand the dynamics of being a coach that that happens. You don't like it. And when this opportunity came up, I jumped at it because it gave me the opportunity to live in Toronto. My wife was there. My kids were there. My grandkids were there. And I said, boy, that might be something. And if I do a good job, there's a good chance I'm not going to be on a carousel again. So uh, that was part of my decision to leave coaching. And then uh, general manager opportunities did present themselves, but they didn't, it didn't come through for whatever reason. Uh, I didn't get the job and uh I was fortunate. It's all, as they always say, it's nice when you've got, when you've already got a job and somebody offers you another one, you can really look at uh, in depth at the position and make the, the, an accurate decision, especially when you're already getting them already are employed. And I think that was the case. Uh, many times I had a really good job. I was working for really good people and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. it uh, what, what got to me in the end, and, and it is tough is, you're, there's so many late nights, you know, you're there. Uh, I would start at three in the afternoon and usually go in and clean up emails and do administrative stuff. And then the games would start and we would often be there until two, two thirty in the morning. And um, we have such a great group that at the end I was doing less and less. They were doing more and more, which was, 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 was right. It was good. They needed, these guys needed to do that. They needed to be the, the bosses of that video room and they they have uh they have achieved that deserved it and have done a great job with it so but it was a point in time where the, my bucket list was getting long and i wasn't going to be able to do any of it if i didn't sooner or later draw a line in the sand and say okay i've got to do this i actually talked to colin about it probably about a year ago and i said you know this might what do you think about this? And we kind of kicked it around and, and we're very similar in our ages and very similar in our, the history of our hockey lives. And he said, yeah, okay, let's think about it. Let's talk about it. And uh, we decided December 31st of this year was going to be the date. You know, it was, it was pretty cool because it was, uh, it was almost like uh, I was getting eulogized by everybody. I said, guys, I'm not dying. I'm just, I'm just leaving. <laughs> and I'm actually back in the video room uh, in mid February. We have, we have an outdoor game and some of our guys go to operate the outdoor game because uh, we need people on site for video review and coaches challenge, et cetera. So I'm going to come in for three or four days in the middle of February and probably be around in the playoffs because we lose a lot of guys that go out and run series. Uh, Rod will go out, Rod Pazma, Kay Whitmore will go out. Uh, Coley and Stephen Walkham often travel, so they might not be available. So I'll go in the video room and assist Chris King and the loggers during the playoffs at, maybe not all the rounds, but probably the first couple of rounds. So there's some things on the, on the agenda for me still that we'll, uh, we'll continue to do. Well, you said you didn't want a, a carousel. I would call 23 years at the job, uh, not a carousel. That's pretty good there. But I mean, as I mentioned off the top, like 50 years in, in, in hockey, and it seems like you just 
slid from one job to the next. I know, like I said, you just retired a few weeks ago, but have you had a chance to really sit back and kind of look back at your career as a player, as a coach, as you know, somebody in the war room and, and, and kind of just reflect on some of the people who really helped you along the way on, let's call it a hat trick of a career yeah. in hockey. Yeah, no, no question about it. I, I, I have so many people to be grateful for so many people to be thankful to uh, people who gave me opportunities, uh, people who uh, stood by me when it was difficult. And I mean, I can go back to people like Fred Sherrill, Bob Pulford. I, I kind of put Emil Francis, uh, Roger Nielsen, Pat Quinn, Cliff Fletcher, uh, Bob McCammon, Mike Kitchen, Tom Watt, uh, Pat Burns. Uh, of course, the commissioner, Gary Bettman and Colin Campbell. Like, that just comes off the top of my head. Uh, we, we, uh, I've been so lucky. And most of those people gave me chances when you think, well, how come? You know, how come? I mean, uh, but it's, it's been a, it's been a room. And a lot of those people are still friends of mine. I still stay in touch with a lot of them. I still talk to them. Uh, you know, aside from the great group that work in the video room. Now, these are guys who really have given me, I, I didn't even mention Quinville or Crawford, and, you know, some of the, uh, the, the coaches that I, I've been good friends with. So it's been, it's been, I've been really lucky. I've been really lucky. Uh, it, it's been, it's been, uh, you know, I've been blessed. That's all I can say. And uh, I say that truthfully. Uh, uh, even my wife says all the time, boy, you're blessed with what happened to you in your career. And, you know, it was like one door closed, another one opened, another door closed, another one opened. And it was just, uh, uh, you know, you don't get 52 years without a lot of breaks. And I had breaks for sure. Yeah, well, one of those breaks now is you have to go and clean your garage because uh, you don't have to go to work and you can watch hockey as a fan. Congratulations on on just an incredible career. Thanks so much for doing this. And uh, yeah, slowly right off to the su into the sunset. I know you have a few more gigs in that war room, but right off to yeah. the sunset, enjoy retirement. Thanks so much for doing this. Guys, a real pleasure being on with you. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, I, I thank the great game of hockey. It's, I still enjoy it every day. Thanks, Murph. And yeah, enjoy it now. Thanks so much. See you, boys. Big thanks to Mike, and hopefully he goes and cleans out that garage right about now so he doesn't <laughs> get in trouble with his wife. Stick around after the break. Rapid fire. So don't go anywhere. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. 
Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Okay, my favorite time of the show and yours, rapid fire. Guys, the Bo Horvat trade watch continues. Of course, we're going to start hearing rumors and, you know, what teams are interested. Right now, we're seeing Boston, Carolina, and Detroit also linked to Bo Horvat. Um, uh, how quick does this get done? Your thoughts on on Bo and where he might end up? Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's one of those things that's probably going to go down to the wire just because deadlines make things happen. Um, I feel like Vancouver is going to be asking for a lot, and deservedly so. He's a great player. Um, so because that price is so high, I just don't see GMs willing to pay it right away. Like this isn't, they're not getting him for a discount. Um, I feel like it's probably going to take to the deadline. Can if if Boston adds this guy, can you like this team's already slaughtering the NHL? Um, I don't think I think like y- you ever see like in fantasy football or fantasy hockey where the league manager has to step in and say, no, we're not, not allowing this decline. trade. It is not fair. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Gary Bettman needs to not allow Bo Horvat, <laughs> Bo, eh, Bo Horvat to go to Boston just for the sake of the Stanley Cup playoffs being watchable. Yeah, um, you know, the team that still I, I, I really think makes a lot of sense is Seattle. Um, you know, they, they've got a ton of cap space. It's not far from where he feels extremely comfortable and is loved. Um, they're in a playoff spot, so it helps for this year, too. Um, I, I just think it makes a ton of sense. And they got a ton of assets, right? Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, if you're Seattle right now, who's uh, who makes a ton of money, fills that building, has really this fan base starting to really get inspired by the fact that it sure doesn't feel like this has been a fluke this year. I think going out and making a move like that this early in the organization puts them on par with that Vegas team that everybody, you know, that they had to compete with in terms of just perception of of uh, being as good. And I, I just think it would make all the sense in the world. I don't know what you guys think. Well, would Vancouver trade their, like, top number one center to a division regional rival, though? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you know, the only thing that I'll say, it's a great point, actually. Um, you know, the only thing I'll, I'll say is that it just doesn't feel like they're taking the long game here. And now they're starting to talk about going for Bedard and and a, and a rebuild situation. They're about to, you know, they're trying to trade Besser. They're going to trade Luke Shen. They're going to trade Horvath. It just doesn't seem like this is going to be a quick fix. And so, you know, but, but you're right. I mean, um, you know, that's usually probably not going to be the first option. Rapid fire topic number two, Rasmus Dahlin. You guys are both going to be covering the All-Star game. Uh, was asked about him not being selected. And he stated the super obvious. Quote, I guess fans want to see forwards. It is what it is. I'm going on vacation and have a good time. But obviously, <laughs> uh, I want to be there. That's just how it goes. Not a lot of forwards. Five of the 44 skaters uh, are defenders. It's the All-Star game. People want to see goals. Your thoughts on Rasmus Dahlin's statements. Russo? Well, if they want to see goals, I think having Rasmus Dahlin in the All-Star game makes a lot of sense. That's true. I mean, that guy is having a freaking great year. Right now, I'd put him right in my top three for the Norris. Um, He has been so exciting. I just watched him pile five points on the wild a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I saw him play in Arizona. I thought he, him and Tage Thompson were the best players on the ice. Um, so I, I just think it's stupid. 
Like, you know, we, we all want to make the All-Star game, you know, a little bit representative of what's going on in the game. And to have only five defensemen, I just think I've, for years, since they've gone to this three-on-three, think the whole setup on how they put players in the All-Star game is just absurd. And I think this is dumb. I, I totally agree with all of that. And especially the part about, like, not being representative. Like, I feel like one of the themes in hockey right now is how amazing these defensemen are on the back end. Mm-hmm. Offensively. Like that to me, that is the story of hockey over the last few years. Is is the way Kale McCarr and Hughes and these guys have come in and changed the way, like the the expectations for a defenseman have changed. Yep. Um, to be an elite defenseman and to not have a guy who's like you mentioned, top three Norris candidate right now, doing it better than anyone is is a little strange. And I agree that the selection process it's so limited. It's like there are so many players not getting in. Um, I don't know how you expand the roster without making it like ridiculous where you're playing three on three. Is a guy going to sit on the bench for 10 minutes in between shifts because there's so many players? I don't really, I don't have the answer. So I'm just going to complain without uh, giving a, <laughs> an, a, 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 <laughs> a solution. But I agree. It's, it is, it does suck to see five defensemen in a league where there are so many amazing defensemen right now. That's fine. But yep. you, you both tell me right now, you have to tick a box. Tage Thompson or Rasmus Dahlin, who are you ticking for the All-Star game? Tage, Stop but it. I like them both. Okay, I understand. But let's be honest here. Like, offense is what sells at the All-Star game. Especially, even three out three, you just want to see goals. Um, it's just the way it's I want to see Jake Middleton and Luke Shen and uh, all these uh, defensive defensemen. (laughs) Shut down defensemen. Uh, Speaking of defensemen, um, Chris Letang had to miss 11 games with not only an injury, but dealing with the death of his father. We talked a couple shows ago about how the Penguins completely changed their road trip so they can go and attend his father's funeral. Returned last night in one of the craziest hockey games of the year. I, I, I know you two both cover a specific team. Uh, so you're mostly focused on that team when they're playing. For myself, I'm pretty lucky. I can, I love to channel surf on games. If a game's shitty, I change. I go to another game. Last night, I kept it on the Pens and Panthers the whole game. I couldn't turn it off. It was just pure entertainment. Latang four points. And then the OT win. It almost seemed like I was watching a Disney movie. What he's gone through over the last little while for him to come back like that was just incredible. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, sports are the best, aren't they? That's yeah, awesome. I mean, it's awesome. It it always happens this way. Like like it remind just last week the Bills they're coming back from Demar Hamlin the first the first game and the opening kickoff they run it back for a touchdown and everyone just kind of looks at each other like of course that's what happened because yeah. this like it is amazing in sports how the narrative and the storyline and especially when it's a heartwarming one um, it just always seems to happen that way um so cool to see all that happen for Latang, and, and like i said sports never fail to deliver it is amazing yeah and I, that's exactly what i would say you know i remember january 3rd was it so january 3rd tage thompson gets three goals it was his third hat trick of the season it was his 30th goal of the season and it was a winner three minutes into overtime in the buffalo sabers first game after number three damlin you know, Demar Hamlin yeah. had a had a had a heart attack on the ice, on the, excuse me on the field. I mean, that is crazy, right? Like, what? How? I mean, how is that even humanly possible, right? In terms of that serendipity, and um, and you see this all the time, and and it just it was perfect, and that was you know uh, just heartwarming to watch. Um, in a as Rob mentioned, extremely entertaining game, thirteen goals, 
I'm sure it gave Paul Maurice and Mike Sullivan a bit of a coronary um, on the bench watching uh, that type of game. But man, it was just beautiful to watch and, and just to see the reaction of the fans and the players. And it was just cool. I know a lot of people think just, oh, you, you like games like that because of a lot of goals. And I do. I'm an offensive guy. Um, but I like two one games. Yeah, but I mean, it really just depends on momentum. And to me, (laughs) the momentum just kept going back and forth. It was just a fun hockey game to watch. And number two, I remember seeing Latang score that winner, saying kind of exactly what Jesse said, because of course Latang scores the OT winner. But then they showed the slow-mo replay, and I just watched the faces of all his teammates. Most people get happy after an, an overtime win, but even when they show the bench and everything, it just was overwhelming, like, yes, you know, I'm so happy yeah. Chris Latang got that goal. So congrats to him. One more rapid fire topic, guys. Gary Bettman spoke to the media uh, yesterday in Montreal. Uh, I'm going to give you four bullet points that jumped out to me. You tell me the one that, that really intrigued you the most, your thoughts on it. Number one, uh, he says. I already know. Yeah, this know is the one Russo going to talk to. The teams don't tank because they have a weighted lottery. Number two. Says he has tried on more than one occasion to get the two women's leagues to come together, but they just refuse to do it, and they're dead set on doing it separately. And he said, I don't know why they're doing it this way, because starting a league is hard. Number three said Hockey Canada's investigation into the, of course, the scandal we've talked about all year is almost over. And number four says the cap still could go up. They're very, very close to paying off that escrow. If it doesn't, it'll be a million dollars next year. If not, it's going to be a lot more. Uh, Russo, go ahead. Well, obviously, the fourth one is the one that it should excite everybody. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about that on the show. But but the tanking, the lottery thing, I mean, and sometimes, Gary, I just don't understand how he just just def- tries. Like, I genuinely, I am, like, the one reporter that always, like, I'm almost a Gary Bettman apologist. I think I've covered this league for 28 years. I've seen the good that has happened in this National Hockey League since he's been commissioner. But why does he always have to insult everybody's intelligence? It makes no sense. Just listen to the GMs that are saying they are taking. I mean, I had Bill Armstrong on this show. He basically said it, right? I mean, we've Kyle Davidson. I've watched Pat Verbeek be like, like all happy-go-lucky in the wild press box, like scouting a game with his team getting smoked in Ottawa. Like, you know, like that just doesn't happen. Now, the only thing that he said that is 100% accurate is that players and coaches don't tank. They play yeah. to win, right? You, but the, don't, the whole teams don't tank because we have a weighted lottery is a bunch of BS. Yeah, I mean, that's the, my piece. Yeah. The, the players are trying. The GMs are just making sure the players that are trying aren't good enough to win, no matter how hard they <laughs> exactly. try. Exactly. Uh, yep. I, I agree with uh, the, the, that fourth topic ab- or the fourth point about. Um, the, the possibility of the cap going up intrigues me. Um, obviously, it'll be great if it does, but just the fact that they aren't sure, and like it's a pretty wild swing. Like, this isn't a $500,000 swing yeah. in what, like, this is millions of dollars. These general managers are going to, are, are ent- I mean, they've, they've already. It's January. It's late January. Right. They want They're to know. Already, like, <laughs> yeah. they can, well, they, we've already passed the point where they can sign extensions to players yeah. and they still don't know how much money they have to work with next year. Um, <laughs> those guys have a tough job, especially the capologists. Like we, we say GMs, but like the capologist is the guy, like the GMs are all grabbing players and signing players. And the capologist is in the back, like pulling his hair out. Like he, he's already under a bunch of stress trying to deal with LTIR and all these gymnastics that these teams pull off these days um, to not have any idea, like within a couple million dollars of how much money you have to work with next year in January is wild. 
It is. It is. And um, yeah, to be clear, as as Russo said, it's just positioning the chess pieces as far as tanking goes. Like you watch it. Sometimes I watch it. I've seen some Arizona games this year where I think I put it out on Twitter once. Do they know how good Connor Bedard is? Like you're looking at this team, like really beating up on 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 really elite teams, teams they should absolutely get smoked to. Um, but to say that GMs aren't sitting there rooting and, and doing their best they can for a tank is is just ridiculous. We didn't tank this show though. There was a game a couple of weeks ago where Arizona was down a goal and. There was no urgency from from Tyranny to to pull. Uh, I can't remember if it was. Uh, I think it was. Um, I can't remember which goalie was in that. Um, but anyway, um, and finally they pulled up with like fifty nine or seconds left or a minute. It was just hilarious, and I was just like, "Well, if you ever had a, you know, you ever wondered if a team's tanking, it was there." It's like he reluctantly he was like, "Okay, just come to the bench, I guess." Well, it's funny. It, it all happened because of actual tanking that happened in the past. And I remember seeing a, a doc TSN put together on the year before Mario came in the league. And the things that the Devils and the Penguins were doing to lose hockey games were were just hilarious. I mean, the Penguins called some one of their goalies up from the American Hockey League team. He went 3-0 and and they sent him back down. They're just like, no, you're not. That's you're not supposed to be doing this. Like they were just it was so blatantly obvious. Does wasn't it uh, wasn't it 2005 where we got to we got to fact check this. But wasn't Crosby. it 2005 where we know where um, or was it? So it was four. So it was 2004, the Ovechkin Malkin draft where Chicago brought up their like minor league goalie to play the last two games. And I think he went like one Oh and one, and they wound up with the third pick and had to take Cam Parker, but they were clearly trying to, you know, get that last pick. I mean, I mean, heck, you know, I, I know that was, you know, and the way the lottery is obviously different, but let's, I mean, everybody knows that Eddie Johnston and Pittsburgh Penguins tanked to get Mario. Um, you know, I mean, that was, but that was not a way to lottery to, to Gary's point, but, but, 2005 one it was still somewhat of a weighted, weighted lottery i think maybe i'm wrong we'll have to look it up uh you guys aren't ta- you guys aren't tanking for the athletic what are you working on for the next week jesse uh working on some some fun golden knight stuff but also uh you know me with the goalies i uh, had a great sit down <laughs> with igor shesterkin yesterday um and and he's a guy like he's not the most talkative but I got him talking goalie stuff. Uh, I got to sit down with him in the in the Rangers locker room, and and he he sat there for quite a while and chatted with me about uh, growing up and and kind of how he became a goalie, how he fell in love with the position, um, the type of training he went through. So I'm, I'm I'm talking to quite a few goalies over the next few weeks for a big story I'm working on. So I'm excited about that. Russo, oh my God, you and your goalies, it's just <laughs> unreal. Most important just, position in sports. Yeah, yeah, that's I guess yeah, true, true, true. Um. And it is funny because when you watch goalies with a reporter that gets goalies, they just get all giddy and, you know, it's pretty kind of cool. Um, uh, what am I working on? I'm working on uh, the NHL Situation Room story, which um, which actually we might wind up um, holding right now and running it uh, closer to the GM's meetings because there's a lot of things going on in the Situation Room that's going to be presented uh, to the GMs. Uh, stuff like, um, you know, figuring out why fights start because they're trying to stop this trend of fights starting because of clean hits. And then the other one is, uh, and I know this is, you know, 
thorn in the side of Maple Leaf fans who think that everybody, including me, are going after Matt Murray. But the reality is, is that goalies right now are, um, you know, nets are coming off the moorings too easily. And they are trend, they are cutting every single time a goalie knocks the net off the moorings, whether it's an accident or they deem uh, intentional like Bobrowski about a week ago. And they're, they're cutting that and they're going to deliver this to the GMs to see if they feel it's a trend and needs to be addressed. There is a rule in the rule book. It doesn't really need to be addressed. If the referees would just freaking call a delay a game penalty. But, um, but you know, clearly that's going to the to the GMs. Um, we're also working on a really cool uh, Chris O'Hearn piece. And then Jesse, myself, Lazarus, um, and, and Corey Priman will be at the All-Star game. And we have a couple really cool story ideas that we're working on as well. Have fun there, boys. And I will see you next week before I go, as I do each and every week. I want to remind everybody, go get an annual subscription to The Athletic right now. We'll wait. It's just two bucks a month for the year when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. And you could subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash theathletichockeyshow. Uh, you could also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. You start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. This week, it's the three of us, myself, Jesse, and Russo, and we're talking Shane Wright. I think we get a little fired up about this topic, so make sure to go listen to that. And remember, the Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown. I want to say a special thank you again to Mike Murphy. Go clean your garage. Russo, Jesse, and I will be back next week with the one and only Bruce Boudreaux. You will want to hear that interview. We'll see you next week.